We're moving through the Gospel of Mark, and we come to a couple of interesting uh, encounters that Jesus has. The first one is with some children, and the disciples are kind of like trying to brush them away, and this happened often where Jesus went uh, about his business. And then we're going to come to another uh, encounter that Jesus has with a young man. And it's very interesting because I think those two encounters really tied together. So we're going to look at that this weekend. Uh, So if you'd like to follow along with me, we're going to begin in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. I want to read through both both of those encounters and then we'll talk about it, okay? So Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will, rec- who will not receive the kingdom of God like this little child will never enter it. And he took the children into his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. It's the first encounter. Here's the second one. As Jesus uh, started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud Uh, You shall honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, it would be good for you to underline that verse because that's kind of an interesting comment that uh, we we get in the text that Jesus isn't just doing business as usual or not just getting... We're seeing the emotion of Jesus coming out in both of these stories. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lacked, he said, uh, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciple, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said it again. Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along uh, with persecutions and in the, the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Okay, so we're going to look at both these encounters and just kind of talk about each one. So the first one, and this is in your notes, is the encounter with the children. What do we learn about uh, with Jesus and his encounter with the children? What does it teach us? Well, it teaches us, number one, you don't get into the kingdom of God. You don't get into heaven because you're innocent 
or independent, which are two things that we throw around in our culture. I'm innocent or I'm not as bad as, uh, that, as I could be, or I'm independent, and that's very common in our culture. Let's be clear, Jesus, and I think this is very important for us to understand, Jesus is not praising the innocence of children. Um, this would not square with the rest of the teaching of Scripture, and it's very important for us to understand this. The other teachings of Scripture, uh, Jesus talks about the human heart and the rest of the New Testament. Jesus, even David says in the Old Testament in, in Psalm 51, he says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I think what David is saying here is, is really important for us to grasp. That every child, though it, it is born as a little baby, it has a capacity for sin. It has a capacity to disobey. Um, I don't know too many parents that have to teach their children how to say no, how to disobey. It comes fairly natural to them. Just trying to get them to obey, that's the challenge, right? Paul tells us in Romans that there's no one righteous, no, not even one. And he says in Romans 3.10, uh, or 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's the point. Nowhere in the Bible are children referred to as innocent. They are not just people who develop a sin and evil later in life. There's, they're naturally born sinners. Now, we don't want to hear that. But in practice and in reality, if you've ever had children or grandchildren, you know that that's essentially true. What is Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about a couple of characteristics about children that's absolutely true. The children are vulnerable and dependent. They can't do many things by themselves. You remember those times where your children, as they were growing up, they got overwhelmed with things like tying their shoes, making their bed, even uh, making a bowl of cereal, or doing anything, working on a project, and they will say the words to you, Mommy, Daddy, I need help. You know, essentially what they're saying is that they needed help. They, they, they are vulnerable and they, are, they need help, and they, they are transparent about that. So what is Jesus really saying when he talks about children? If he's not saying the innocence of children, I think what he's saying is, and this is a point in your notes, you do get into the kingdom of God, you do get into heaven by admitting your helplessness and dependence on Jesus. It's really important for us to hear that. We have to admit that we're helpless and we're dependent on Jesus. Jesus is saying that to receive the kingdom as a little child means to approach God with the qualities like dependency and trust. Now think about that. That really makes sense when you think of children. When you think about children, children are unable to care for themselves. Left to themselves, they're, they're helpless in many areas. And good parents don't leave their children alone. They, they think, are they capable of doing this? And can I leave them alone? And some of us have learned the hard way. When you leave a child alone for too long and they're not capable of something, the, the wheels unwind very quickly and bad things happen, right? Overflowing sinks and tubs and different things like that. All crazy things happen. Um, you've, you've had that moment. If you're a parent, you've had that moment where you realize that you've left, left your child to carry out a task and you, it's been too long and it's too quiet. And you know you better go check because there's going to be a problem, right? The other thing about children is they easily trust people. In fact, this is, 
this is a beautiful trait, and this is what Jesus is talking about. Children naturally trust. And we have, today, in the day we live in, we have to say to children, you have to learn not to trust. Don't we have that with stranger, you know, stranger danger? So we're basically saying, don't trust everyone that you see, right? Because they have that natural born instinct to trust. So Jesus is, is commenting on the ability to have a tr a, having a trust in others. Now here's where it comes in for us who have grown up and we're mature, right? If we're honest, most of us would admit it's hard for us to trust Jesus. It's hard for us to trust Him when life gets hard. It's hard for us to trust Him when things don't go the way that we think they should. It's hard for us to trust Him when we're struggling. And Jesus is saying to us, those are the times I want you to trust me. You may not understand it, just like a child may not understand it. But there are times where you just have to trust. I remember uh, multiple times with my uh, boys when we'd be at a pool or something, and they were at an age where they were too little to swim by themselves, but they wanted to go into the water, and you would get in the water, and you would say, okay, jump, I'll catch you. <laughs> and they had to trust that you were going to catch them and you weren't going to let them go under the water. And so this is what happens to us in our lives, isn't it? Where we go through those times and we feel like, are you going to catch me? Is it going to be okay? It doesn't feel like you're going, are you going to let go of me? And so I think that's essentially what we need to learn from uh, children. Uh, the traits that Jesus is highlighting here is, that you have to come to a place of dependency. You have to realize that you need help. And this is a very hard thing for Americans to do. It's a hard thing for males to do. Uh, but Jesus says, become like a little child and become dependent. Understand your need. And then secondly, um, trust me. Trust me. Because I will never let you down. I'll never let you slip through my fingers. In fact, Jesus says that no one will snatch you out of the palm of my hand. That's what he says, what Paul says in Romans about uh, the promises of God. So that's the lessons we can learn from the children and from uh, that encounter. The second encounter that Jesus has is with a young man. We find from other gospels and from reading through Mark's story that this man was fairly rich. And here's the lesson we learned from that young man. You can't understand the good news until you hear the bad news. You can't understand the good news until you hear the bad news. Now, Jesus has already taught that moral obedience and attainment of the law is not the way to be saved, even though many in Jesus' day saw that as the path to the kingdom of God. Be, you know, follow the law, keep the commandments. And, and it's interesting, note, and maybe you didn't note this, but the commandments that Jesus noted to the man were all in doing in, in uh, relationships. Don't steal, don't kill, don't do those. It had nothing to do with his relationship to God. None of those commandments were brought up. Uh, and, and the young man says, well, I've kept those since I was a young boy. I've kept all those commandments. I've been very good about that. But yet, even in, in that day and today, many, many people are on this path that says, if I keep the law, whatever that means, if I follow it correctly, 
And if I do exactly what it says, then I will be acceptable to God. Now notice what Jesus doesn't say to the young man. He doesn't say, become as a little child and receive me. Instead, he reminds the man of the law of God, in particular the Ten Commandments. And he tells him to obey them in order to get into the kingdom or get eternal life. What's going on here? Well, as I said before, the man has claimed that he's kept all the commandments from his youth. And Jesus, at this point, doesn't seem to be, you know, he's allowing that to, to, to go by. He's not going to challenge him on that point. But this, this is a very interesting thing. This man is very similar to somebody we read about in the, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. You remember the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul became, was a, a very righteous rabbi. He was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. And he was a, a persecutor of the early church. This is what Paul t- says about himself. This is in Romans, ch- or excuse me, Philippians chapter 3. You don't have to turn there, but just write these verses down. Philippians 3, verses uh, 4 through 6. This is Paul. And what Paul is doing, he's describing himself before he became a follower of Jesus Christ. Very righteous, religious man. And this is what he says about himself. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, I would put my keeping of the law against anyone that I know. What was the young man doing? The young man was saying, I'm a righteous person. I deserve to be part of the kingdom. And and he walked up to Jesus with respect. He bowed down to him. He called him good teacher. But essentially what, what this young man is doing is what Paul said. But remember, Paul goes on to say, all these things I consider as rubbish. So Paul learns something about this pursuit of God through righteous behavior following the law, that it fell short. Now why doesn't Jesus say to him, no, your sins are forgiven because I came down as a ransom. Here's what's going on. Jesus has to bring this young man to a place where he understands his need because at this point, he thinks he's got it made. He thinks he's done enough he thinks he's arrived you've done this before right you've you've done this or people have done it to you and you you hate it people come up to you and they say i've got some good news and i've got some bad news what do you want to hear first right and some of you you go i want the bad news first because i always like ending with the good news or some of you say you know give me the good news i want to start out and it'll make you know but so I heard this, uh, this uh, good news, bad news, and it was an attorney talking to a client. And the attorney says, I have some good news and I have some bad news to his client. The client said, uh, what's the bad news? The attorney said, the bad news is your blood is all over the crime scene and the DNA tests prove you did it. What's the good news? Well, your cholesterol is 130. but here's what Jesus is trying to do with this young man he's trying to show this young man that you can't receive the good news of the gospel without first hearing the bad news 
of sin. Sometimes we, we try to share the good news of the gospel. We haven't even laid a groundwork to say, you need this. You see, the young man was in no position to receive the truth of the gospel because he thought he was okay. He thought he had done enough to get in. He didn't see himself as a sinner, so he didn't see his need. So he walks up to Jesus and he says, I don't think I've really failed. I think I'm right on track. And Jesus is saying, okay, let's, let's talk about that. The point is, the young man first needed to see his need before he could understand the cross. He needed to see his sin. So Jesus is going to go there. And he's going to kind of surgically help the man to see where his heart was at. And, and that's very important. Now, the next thing I want to just share is this. If the young man is not in, then a lot of people are in trouble. Think about this for a minute. This is a good guy. He knew Jesus was a good teacher. He showed him deference and respect. He had a good attitude. He came with thoughtful, good questions. You know, he's not like the Pharisees who are asking questions trying to trip Jesus up. He's asking sincere, honest questions. He, he's living a good life. He's following the teachings of Scripture. He's living a good moral life. Most people would look at him and say, he's a great guy. He's, he, he's just a really good person. And he comes to Jesus asking for salvation. I mean, what more could you ask for? If this guy's not in, then a lot of people are in trouble. Because based upon the standard that we use today in most churches, it's about if I do enough, if I believe in Jesus, if I live a good moral life, uh, if I ask Jesus for salvation, I'm good. But notice how the man walks away. It says that he walked away sad. And here's what I found in Scripture. That every time a person walks away from Jesus, they walk away sad. Or like Judas, they walk away and it says, and it was night. Every time that you walk away from Jesus, you are walking in the wrong direction. What I told you to underline, and this is what I want to talk about just for a minute, that Jesus looked at him and loved him. I think this is amazing. Jesus looks at this young man, probably knows that he's going to walk away, and Jesus basically loved him. He had compassion on him. And here what we see is the compassion of Jesus for the lost. But not just for the lost, but for a rich man who is lost. Jesus loves us in spite of our spiritual stupidity. Our weakness is no, no barrier to his love. Now, they get into this whole discussion and Jesus points, points the, the scalpel of truth to this man's heart. And he basically says, if you want in in the kingdom of God, if you want to be in, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me, and I will give you riches in heaven. It says the man walked away sad that day. Now, there's this debate that they get into, and scholars love this debate. The camel through, you know, the eye of a needle. 
And they say, well, there's a gate and the camels have to take their loads off and the camels have to squat down to get through this gate. That's a bunch of, that's a bunch of nonsense. It is what it seems. It's impossible. Essentially, it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's his point. But notice what he says later on. What is impossible with man is possible with God. In other words, there has to be a supernatural movement in the life of a person before they can make a move towards God. In other words, you can never, you are as likely to earn your way to heaven as a camel is to go through the eye of a needle. That's the point that Jesus is making here. Now, here's another side thought. We're called to love the spiritually, spiritually weak just like Jesus did. We're not to disdain them. We're also, notice here too, that we're, we're called to love people irrespective of whether they are wealthy or not. And yet, what we tend to do is, if somebody is wealthy, we, we listen, if you had a missionary and they were going to say, I want to bring the gospel to, to the wealthy people. The top 10, you know, we have to go to the top 1% of, of the uh, United States. I want to bring the gospel to them. Most of us would say, yeah, I'm not really interested. But if somebody were to say, I want to bring the gospel to the poorest people in the, in the world. See, we make that distinction. And I was thinking about that. Why do we do that? Why do we say that a person who is poor is more lost or more... They deserve the gospel more than a person who is in the top 1%. Why do we make that judgment? Here's what I think we're doing. I think we're doing this. I think we're saying, well, they had their chance. Those people in the 1%, they had their chance. They lived a good life. These people never had a chance. So it's not fair. And I just want to say, I want you to see the, the Jesus with a rich young ruler, and he basically says, you know, everybody matters to me whether they're rich or they're poor. But we make a distinction for some reason. Jesus also taught a very important uh, lesson about riches or anything else, that pay, that, that anything else other than him. He, he, essentially what he says is to, to this rich man, he says, riches... The love of riches is your issue. Again, every one of us has a different issue. Every one of us has a different idol in our heart. For this man, it wasn't his relationships. His relationships were fine. And he basically was probably right. He was a good person and had good relationships. But essentially, he trusted money more than he trusted God. So he actually violated the first commandment, which said, you shall have no other God's before me. Well, his God was money. Materialism. This, this man had materialism as an idol. He loved money more than God. And an idol is anything that you look to or lean on other than God. It could be a lot of things. It could be relationships. It could be family. It could be your work. It could be, it could be your health. It could be a whole bunch of things. And Jesus is saying that the richer you are, the harder it is to make spiritual progress. Now, why is that? Why is, it, why is he saying that rich, being rich can be a curse to have this relationship with God? Does it, why, why is it such a, why can't it be a curse? 
And the answer is, when you have riches, you don't look to God. You don't trust God. You don't need God. You have enough. You don't think of God. What are some signs? Because you may, oh, by the way, let me just say this. You may, you may think, well, I don't have a problem with money because I don't have any money right? You think that, right? You think, well, I don't have a problem with money because I don't have any money. I'd have to have money to have a problem with it. Well, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to give you some signs that money is too important for you. And you may think, well, money can't be too important for me because I don't have any. Well, let me, let me show you this. Have you noticed that most people in America have plenty to live on but little to live for. We are blessed in America. We are in the top 10% of the rest of the world. We have clean water. We have food. We have, uh, you know, the, the poorest person here is rich compared to the rest of the world. And I understand there are poverty issues in America, generally. I get that. What I'm saying is this. You may say, I don't have a problem with money. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have a problem with envy? Do you find yourself strongly resenting people who have a lot of money? You, you resent people who drive a nicer car than you do. You make statements like, well, if they're really a follower of Jesus Christ, should they really drive that car? Should they really live in that big of a house? Should they really be able to go on vacation all the time? Do you, are you envious? Well, if you're envious of others, you've got a problem with money. Anxiety. Do you worry a lot about money? You say, well, I don't have much. I, I worry all the time about money. Well, you have a problem with money. Because what does worry say? Worry says that I need money to pay my bills, and, and when I find that I have this big bill that I don't know how to play, uh, uh, pay, I'm worried about it, and I'm not trusting God in this area. Money's a problem. Again, don't have to have money to have issues with money bias do you have a clear bias towards people who have money do you treat people different who have money over people who don't have money if you do that you have a problem with money maybe you're a spender or a miser are you either too prone to shop to buy things in order to make yourself feel good that's one side or are you a miser? You have a problem with money. <laughs> so you're probably, some of you are responding, I think, if you're like me, as I was thinking through this and I was going through this, I was thinking, I didn't think I had any issues with money. And I got done thinking through this. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got some issues here. See, all of these are signs of, that money and wealth has too much spiritual influence in your heart. That's why Jesus says, the love of money. Now, Jesus doesn't say it, but the New Testament says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Envy, strife, worry, anxiety comes from money. Whether you have it or not. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is simply saying this. That entrance into the kingdom of heaven is not on the basis of attainment or morality. 
You don't get to get, get to heaven because of what you've done, because you've been a good person, because you've followed all the commandments, because you've done that. He says to the young man, he says, here's the deal. You may have kept all of those commandments, but you've got one problem. You failed on the first commandment and probably two and three. You love your money and the security and the power and all the other things that it brings you more than you love me. And it, it, says that, it says that the young man, when Jesus said this, when he said, go sell all you have, give it to the poor and come follow me, and I'll make you rich in heaven. And it says the young man walked away sad. Because he was really rich. And Jesus says that's what riches will do. Riches will cause you to trust them instead of me. And then the lesson from the children is this. That we have to come to a place where we acknowledge our need. And we acknowledge that Jesus is trustworthy. That we can trust him with our lives. That he won't let us down. That he'll hold us in his arms. That he'll never let us go. And that without him, we can't help ourselves. So Jesus has two encounters. One with all these little children. He says, if you want to be in heaven, would you acknowledge that you're helpless on your own? Would you acknowledge that you can trust me and I'll never let you down? And then he has an encounter with a young man and he says, you can't work your way into heaven. It is a gift that only I can give you. You have to decide whether you're going to give up your other gods, your idols, and you're going to give your life to me or not. And he says, that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to cross that line and say, Jesus, you gave your life to me, now I give my life to you. And I don't know where that's going to lead me here and now, but I trust what you say of where it will lead then and there. And that's what it means to enter the kingdom of God. And I just want to say, just one last thing. There are so many people across America, across around the world, and in this community, that are working hard like this rich young ruler who are good people, decent people, who believe in Jesus. And they're trying to earn their way to heaven. And Jesus is saying, you'll never earn it. You'll never deserve it. It is only gifted when you trust me, when you put your life in my hands. And Jesus finally said, when you have a lot of wealth, it's hard to give that away and trust me. So what have you done? What are you trusting in? If Jesus, if you were to have an encounter with Jesus, what would Jesus point to in your life and say, are you willing to give that away? Are you willing to trust me instead of that? And if you're not sure, here's one thing you will know. 
as you go through your life, when whatever, when something is threatened in your life, whether it's your, your job, your career, your reputation, your family, uh, your wealth, you know, whatever it is, whenever that is, re- whenever that is threatened for some reason or another, what you'll find is if, you're, if you are trusting that more than Jesus, you'll find your life will go to pot. I mean, it'll be just, it's just like your, your life will come crashing down. That's why it's so hard for men who have built their lives on their career and their identity is on their career, and then they lose their job or something happens, or, you know, and it's been such a big part of their lives, and they go, I don't even know who I am anymore, and they're in a crisis. Sometimes it's a relationship. You, 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 you've, you've said this is going to be the relationship to beat all relationships. And it starts out great and then all of a sudden it just blows apart. And you go, what happened here? Who am I? What am I going to do here? And what ends up happening is you've made that relationship an idol. You've made it a God. And Jesus may be saying to you, stop making that relationship Stop making that job. Stop making that family. Stop making that career. Stop making that be the thing for you because when that thing is broken down, when it falls apart as they always will, your life will be a mess. But when you give your life to me and you allow me to be the center point of your life and all those other things take their proper perspective around that you may be shaken but you will never be destroyed and the young man basically had his world blown up because Jesus said you've got to trade that for me and if you're not willing to do that you're not ready for the heaven so where are you at what is God challenging you with Let's pray. Father, help us to take your word. Help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to look at what's beneath the surface. Help us to learn the lesson from the children. That we are needy and we need help. That we can trust you for you're trustworthy. Father, help us to understand the lesson from the young man who came and really had an idol. He was a good man. He was a moral man. He believed in Jesus. He bowed down to Jesus. He showed Jesus respect. He asked Jesus for salvation, but when push came to shove, he could not let go of that one area of his life. He couldn't trust Jesus. And Father, if there's an area that you've been speaking to our hearts about, because we have failed to give that over to you, may today, right now, be the day that we say, Lord, I have held on to this and it's kept a wedge between you and me and I want to trust you. Father, help us to become like little children so that we can enter the kingdom of heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.